God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is your strength. That reading from Nehemiah is one of my favorites from Scripture. And I remember hearing it when I was in college. It was on the back of a T-shirt. And you know, usually when they put it on the back of the T-shirt, if they have something like that, they'll give you a little citation that tells you where it came from. Well, it wasn't on there. So I forever was thinking, well, where is that? And I didn't spend a lot of time reading about Nehemiah when I was in college. Um, And so I finally, our bishop, Bishop Russell, was our curate. And finally, I was asking Russell a question, and we found it. So there it is. It was in our reading today, the joy of the Lord is our strength, is your strength, is my strength. Love that. I'm not someone I'm going to talk about today, though. So I'm glad I got that off my chest, right? Um, Who's got the answer? Who's got the answer? You know, one of my favorite shows used to be, I haven't watched it much lately, but is Jeopardy, which is great because you get the answer before you, you know, that's what you start with. It's your starting place is the answer. Wouldn't that be great? Um, And then you have to kind of guess it. So who is George Washington? General in the Continental Army, first president, married to Martha, Legend has it that he cut down the cherry tree. Um, what is black and white and red all over? Uh, what is the, yeah, you follow Tribune, you go. <laughs> there you go. But we're conditioned in many ways to give the expected answer. We feel that we know what people want to hear, and so that is oftentimes the answer that we give to people. I know this in my children who tend to kind of wait around to kind of, I can tell they're studying my face and if I get that twitch in my lip or if I'm starting to turn red or those kind of things. So then they gauge what they say based on me, what I want to hear. And we do it as well. There's something called confirmation bias. They say that confessions that are given under any kind of duress are not worthy, aren't good. Um, They had a project called the Innocence Project did something, a study where they took hundreds of cases where people had been exonerated by DNA evidence. And they found that one in four confessed to a crime that they did not commit. The DNA evidence showed that they did not commit. Because when you are under duress or when you're in front of an authority figure, you oftentimes want to please somebody or you want something to stop or you want to, to make everybody happy. So they found that people actually confessed to crimes they didn't commit. Can you believe that? And I had an experience with this when I was in high school. I was a pretty, you know, I towed the line um, pretty much when I was in high school. And so it was much to my shock when my assistant principal came and got me out of class one day with these words. Coleman, we've got you now. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What did I do? I was scared to death. And so I get into the assistant principal's office. There is a police officer in there. They didn't give me a chance to call my mother. Thank you, Dothan City Schools, right? Um, but uh, they began to ask me questions about a, uh, 
about a ball machine from a golf course that had been stolen. Well, I didn't steal it. But I will tell you, for a split second there, I was so nervous and scared, I just wanted it all to stop, right, just to go away. I'd have probably said anything they wanted to hear um, at a point. I don't know if they ever caught the person, but it wasn't me. I'm telling you now. <laughs> well, why did they stop you, right? I don't know why they stopped me. I just know that I got called in there. And we even do it in church. We've all heard that story um, about the priest, pastor who's there and calls the kids down. He's wanting to talk to them about God's creation. So he's telling them about animals, part of God's creation. And he's, he does this kind of Jeopardy style. Well, it's a little furry animal that lives in trees. He waited for an answer. Nothing came. He said, come on, guys. You know, it's got a big old bushy tail. Climbs trees. No answer. He said, you know, it has kind of little buck teeth a little bit, big teeth and a big bushy tail, and it, it has nuts, and it buries them sometimes. No answer. And then one of the kids raises his hands, and he says, Pastor, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> so sometimes we even do it in church. We come in here and we think, well, the answer is automatically Jesus, or it's God, or that's what we've got to say. And then we miss God. We don't see God because we think we know where to find God, or we think we know what the answer is. And we go on about our lives, missing it all together. I want to talk a little bit about quantum entanglement because I see a little thread of that running through it. You know, quantum quantum um, theory is that level of science that subatomic particles where it goes beyond anything we can really, and certainly a layman like me, can understand. You know, Brad Moore, who is a nuclear scientist, was in the congregation at 8 o'clock, so I was a little nervous talking about this because what do I know, right? But, um, and I was getting tickled throughout the service because I said, I was kept thinking, well, Gary laid an egg. Well, this is an egg, but it's not an egg, right? It's a photon. Let's pretend like it's a photon blown up, blown up like a billion percent or more. Um, and so if you were to take a photon and you were to split it in half, Gary, I've broken your egg, um, we have two halves. And so automatically I would say, well, one is certainly independent of the other. It's totally separate. And if you took it on the other side of the room, well, now it's even more separate. There's no strand that could possibly be connecting these two things. And yet they've found that what they call quantum entanglement is that there are there is structure beneath anything that we can see. You know, E equals MC squared, that mass has energy. So there's something even in the mass, the benches, the pews you're sitting on that has an energy, a photon aspect of it. And they say that this photon that's been split, that if you were to say, are they separate? Well, yes, of course. It's what I expect you to say. It's what we expect to say. And yet they say that if I were to take one end of this photon and take it to the back of the church and spin it in one direction, the, one, the other one would begin spinning in the same direction. And it's not even that it's on the other side of the room. If I were to take this half of the photon and take it to China or on the other side of the world or in space, for that matter, and begin to spin one side of the proton, the other would begin to spin at the same time in the same direction. 
There is something at a level that we cannot see, that we cannot comprehend in God's creation that connects all things. Everything is connected. And the well-being of one particle depends on the well-being of another particle. And it responds in kind to that particle. Thomas Merton said, our true self is love and connectedness. Our false self is fear. It says something very important to us as human beings, that connection is the way that God's universe, even at the smallest level, was designed to be. And it says something important about our connection to each other and our connection to those that we cannot see. Right? Richard Rohr talks about this. Ed Bacon talks about it. Lots of people have talked about this. Have you ever gotten that inclination that you need to call somebody? That something's going on in their life, that it's been placed on your heart? And then you call them and they say, how did you know? There's a connection that we cannot know or cannot possibly understand that our love is bound up in your love. And it's bound up in the love of those that we don't know or that we may never know. Paul talks about this today in 1 Corinthians, and I love this. You remember last Sunday we talked about that church in Corinth that Paul went to, and they were having all these fights over, well, my gift is better than your gift, and your gift is better than my gift, and, well, why do you get so much more praise than I get? Does that sound familiar? We all do that. I do that, unfortunately. We do it in the church. And what that does is it begins to create division, right? We're made for connectedness. The universe is made for connectedness. We're bound up that your gift is my gift and my gift is your gift. And yet we so many times don't see that reality. That's not the answer we're brought up to see, that separate is separate, right? I'm not connected to you. Why do you have what I don't have? That's not fair. I want mine. Where's mine? Your gift is better than my gift. That's not fair. I'm bitter. That makes me mad. Mom paid more attention than she did to, to me, to you. That's not fair. That's why I'm like I am, right? You think I'm passive aggressive? Well, it's dad's fault. <laughs> so we begin to think this way, separate. That's the answer that we think the world has taught us. Marketing separates us, you know? The world separates us. So Paul begins to tell the church in Corinth about spiritual gifts and that one isn't better than the other. And then he does this beautiful pivot. He uses the example of the body, Christ's body. That one part of the body is no more important than another part of the body. Right? In verses 15 and 16 he says, A foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And the most powerful part of all comes in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Connection. We're made for it. And we're not just made for it with those that we see here. We're made for it for those on the other side of the world, 
for those that we may never know. Because we are bound together in love and one part is important for the other part. Unless you think that the body of Christ is just those gathered here at St. James or just Christians, let me disabuse you of that idea. Because when we say our Father, we are not just simply saying the Our Father of those who believe just like us or look just like us. Because if we believe that Christ is all and is in all, and that God created everything, then the Our Father is the Father of those who are Hindu and Muslim and those who don't believe what we believe. Yes, we are connected in love to all of them. To people we may not agree with. To people that may wish us harm. And the world will try to separate us, and as we live into that separation, we will give in to fear, and love will die. Jesus talks about it as well, I think, in today's gospel lesson. You see, they never, they never give you the whole story, do they? Well, today's lectionary has Jesus going into the temple in his hometown and speaking a word from Isaiah. But you know what happened right before this? He was in the wilderness, and he was tempted for 40 days. And Jesus kept trying to get him to be all for himself. You know, it's your glory, Jesus. Come on. It's all for you. I can give you all the riches of the world. And Jesus said, no. No. I am bound together for my fellow man and I will go and I will live this ministry. I will live this ministry even unto my own death because it is for love. And so today he says to the congregation sitting there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's to everyone. Because don't think that the poor, the blind, and the hungry are just those out there. They certainly are. But the poor, the hungry, and the blind are you. It's me. Because there are times when I need that connectedness. I need to be reminded. I need to be remembered. And Jesus does that with me and for me. And through Jesus and the body of Christ, you do that with me and for me. And together we march towards the beat and to the rhythm of love and we do that for people on the other side of the world, whether they know us or not. Because we are bound together in love. We are bound together at a quantum level that we can never understand. And my well-being and their well-being is bound up together. And as we live into love, we see that and we feel that. But when we give in to fear, because there are fearful people among us, and they, like the devil in the wilderness, will try to separate us. They'll try to make it about us, or about our clan, or our group, or us over them. And when they do that, we don't see that connection of love that is there that ultimately saves the world. Desmond Tutu called it Ubuntu. My humanity is caught up and is inextricably bound up in yours. A person is a person through other persons. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. 
We all know what the Holocaust was. Nazi Germany set about to systematically murder every Jew in Europe. Six million European Jews, five million Slavs, three million ethnic Poles died between 1941 and 1945. And so we celebrate it, or don't celebrate it, we memorialize it, we remember it on this date because on January 27th of 1945, Auschwitz and Birkenau, the largest Nazi death camp, was liberated. And there was someone who died there by the name of Eddie Hillison. And she became a philosopher of sorts, an ascetic, someone who, who lived into this life, this internal life of God that allowed her to live into that love in the world. And before she died at the hands of the Nazis, she said, Each of us moves things along in the direction of war every time we fail to love. And I'm not talking about just war with tanks and guns. I'm talking about war with your spouse. Talking about war with your children. War with your church. War with your community. When we fail to love, we become separated and away from that connection of love that binds us together. She said, I know that a new kind... And kinder day will come. I would so much like to live on, if only to express all the love I carry within me. And there is only one way of preparing the new age, by living it even now in our hearts, even to my Nazi oppressors, even to those with dogs and to with guns. Because my love will change you. It may not be something I can see, but at a quantum level, it will change the world because your well-being is my well-being. Albert Einstein, the one who paved the way to quantum theory himself, said, strange is our situation here on earth. Each of us comes for a short visit not knowing why, yet sometimes seeming to divine a purpose. From the standpoint of daily life, however, there is one thing we do know. That man is here for the sake of other men, above all for those upon whose smiles and well-being our own happiness depends. One last story. Mother Teresa, in her book, In My Own Words, was telling about two novices that she sent out into the streets of Calcutta. And they went out and they, they basically spent the entire day nursing a man that they covered in sores that they took off the rubble of this particular site. And when the novices returned, Mother Teresa asked them about their day and what they learned, what they saw, what they did. And this woman answered, this novice answered, I touched the body of Christ for three hours. I'm sure of it. I am sure it was him. Someone she didn't know. Someone she had never seen before. Someone she may never encounter again. Imagine a life lived with that touch in mind. Imagine how gentle we would be. Imagine our words. Imagine our actions. Imagine the compassion that would pour from us into the world. 
How could it change relationships? How could it change those we don't even know? Those we may never know. Those with whom we disagree. Those who wish us harm. How would it change that? Because make no mistake, we're connected. We're connected by our Father who art in heaven and who art everywhere that we go, is in everything that we say, is in everything that we do. I want you to do something for me now. I want you to reach out and I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you. And if you are by yourself, somebody go and stand next to them. Grab the hand of the, of the person next to you. All right, I see somebody back there. Sir, grab it. Somebody needs to go grab this gentleman's hand back there. There we go. We got it. I want you to feel that touch. The body of Christ is among us. And at a quantum level right now, you are holding the hand of a person on the other side of the world. As controversial as this is going to sound, you are holding the hand of a person in a cave in Afghanistan that is with ISIS right now. You are holding the hand of everyone in the world for you are connected through a bond of love. And it reaches out and it touches us and it touches them and it touches the sorrows of this world. It touches those broken places in each and every one of us. It reaches out to share our sorrow but it also reaches out to share our celebration and to celebrate our joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you hold that hand, and when you act in compassion, out there, in here, wherever you go in the world, you are holding the hand of Christ. You are the apple of God's eye. And the joy of the Lord is upon you and with you and through you. It moves into the world. Can I get an amen? I heard Ed Bacon say that the other day, and I loved it so much. I love that man. He was talking about a lot of this. Can I get an amen? Amen. Feel the hand in yours, the holiness of touch. This, my friends, this is the body of Jesus the Christ. Amen.